Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck Esme. So Jenny, what are we going to dive into today? Well, this week, one of our new APDs, Virat Madia, gave an excellent case-based presentation on the critical care of a burn patient. This isn't something that we see a whole lot of, you know, at least not at our hospital, but there are some special considerations that are worth having kind of in the back of your head in case one of these just rolls into your trauma bay. You know, we have burn centers, so the patients tend to congregate. I don't know if that's the right word exactly. EMS tends to bring them to right. the burn centers. So I, I agree. I've never really seen a major burn patient. A lot of this is just from reading and talking to other experts. But I think there's some basics of the initial resuscitation that we do all need to have a good grasp of. So the first thing that we want to consider when we hear that we're getting a burn patient is that we should expect that there's going to be more than one. Burn patient's very rarely come just as a single patient. They often come from an incident where there are going to be multiple patients. And so we want to get our team together. We want to think about the possibility of numerous victims. We want to kind of clear the department so that we have the ability to focus on the patients who are coming in that are sick. And again, prepare the team for what could be coming in and what we need to be ready for. Yeah, I think that's a really great thought exercise for all of us, especially in training, but even after we're in training, or maybe even more after we're out of training, how would I prepare my department in case I had a mass casualty incident? Because obviously, that's kind of a once in a lifetime thing, you got to run through it in your brain, or you're not going to be prepared for it. Once the patient arrives, you are, of course, going to start with your ABCs. You're going to want to pay really special attention to the patient's airway. Here, you're going to want to look for any evidence at all of burns to the face, the mouth, the nose, the neck, the throat, and any evidence of smoke inhalation. And this can really be pretty subtle, apparently. It can be as subtle as finding just kind of some evidence of soot around the patient's nose or the mouth. Here, it's important to intubate early as the airway can become edematous and become a difficult airway really quickly and without warning. The idea of soot around the nose and that leading to an intubation is classic teaching. We've all learned it. And I'm not sure how true it is when we're talking about patients with minor burns. So I hear this kind of repeated, oh, patient has a minor burn, but they've got singed nose hairs. They got soot around the nose. We need to tube them. Now, Jenny, you know I like to intubate people, but I don't think we should be intubating that person. When we talk about this stigmata leading to early intubation, we're talking about the patient who has major burns. We're talking about the person who comes in and you look at them and say, wow, that is a large body surface area burn. I'm a little worried about this person. Oh, and by the way, they've got some stigmata of burn around the airway, I want to take over that airway early before it becomes edematous, before it becomes difficult. So if you've decided that the airway needs securing, you probably want to move on that a little bit earlier rather than later. After you've secured the airway, continue with your ABCs. And when it comes to C, we focus on large volume fluid resuscitation. We want to calculate the total body surface area that's burned using the rule of nines, and we'll drop an image of that in the show notes. Shock can develop rapidly in these patients, especially if they have burns over more than 15 to 20% of their body. The most common formula that's used to calculate the initial fluid resuscitation is the Parkland formula. Here we take the total body surface area, we multiply that by 4 mLs and then times the weight in kilos. We give half of that volume that we calculated over the first 8 hours and the next half over the next 16 hours. We usually want to use either lactated ringers or a balanced solution because it's probably better for the overall acid base status since we're giving a lot of volume. Now, one last thing to remember here is that there's some recent evidence that shows that we are more likely to overestimate the amount of body surface area involved. And as a result, we overestimate the amount of fluids that are needed. Now, 
a little bit of extra fluid doesn't sound like such a big thing, but it can lead to other problems as we'll talk about in a moment. This can be avoided by either being very careful with your measurements or you can just titrate your fluids to a urine output of somewhere around one to one and a half cc's per kilo per hour. That's a good tip. Now, after that primary survey, you're going to move on to your secondary survey. It's important to remember that a burn patient could have suffered from any other number of traumas as well. I mean, think about it. If the patient's in a house or an apartment fire, they might have fallen through the floor of the building or tried to jump out of a window. Now, a seriously burned patient can be really overwhelming to a team. It can be gruesome to look at and, and even really to smell. Be sure to do a thorough trauma evaluation for any other injuries. So you're going to make sure you include an EFAST, at least get a chest x-ray, and do a good secondary and tertiary exam. Those are good tips. I think, again, the most obvious injury will often distract us from finding the other ones. Now, obviously, the skin exam is going to be an important aspect of your secondary and tertiary surveys. Here, you want to be sure to strip off all the clothing for the patient. Any clothing or jewelry that remains in place can be a nidus for infection, so you want to get those things off. Additionally, you want to be sure to do an assessment of the patient's compartments. They may be intubated or completely distracted by their other injuries, and so they may not complain of pain in that particular area. So you have to be vigilant to look for compartment syndrome and then test that compartment to see what the pressure is if you've got any suspicion. Right. Now, clearly, a limb with a circumferential burn is at risk for developing a compartment syndrome, particularly as the edema worsens. But it's also thought that the combination of the massive fluid resuscitation we give in burns and then just the systemic inflammatory response can even put unburned limbs at risk for developing a compartment syndrome. So perform a good limb exam. You know, you got to evaluate for any tense compartments and for any evidence of neurovascular compromise. And when in doubt, like Swami said, just check a compartment pressure. And don't forget those compartments that are the atypical compartments, the ones we don't think about, not the limb compartments, but things like the chest and the abdomen. If they've got circumferential burns, it doesn't permit these compartments to expand completely as they need to, and so this can cause a lot of problems. Now, when we specifically talk about a compromised limb with a circumferential burn, we're looking at an escherotomy as the treatment of choice. This is a pretty infrequent procedure, even in burn centers. So it's one that we need to be familiar with enough to know when to pull the trigger and how to do the initial steps in management. Now, hopefully if the patient came to you, you have a trauma surgeon in-house who can help you with this particular procedure to be done. But remember that this isn't something that you can punt until the patient gets transferred to the burn center because this is life and limb threatening. The last main point that Virat wanted to make was to make sure that we all consider carbon monoxide and cyanide poisoning in any major burn patient. Now, you and I just a few weeks ago did a podcast on carbon monoxide poisoning, and I think it's pretty safe to say that any patient with major burns like we're talking about likely has a significant carbon monoxide exposure. Check out our recent podcast for the details. But the nuts and bolts are that you're going to want to check a coax panel to get your carbon monoxide level, and then just start treating with 100% O2. Now, cyanide poisoning should be considered in any burn patient who has had a cardiac arrest or who has any declining cardiac function. And one of the tip-offs to this also could be that they have a really high lactate level that you can't explain any other way. Treatment for a suspected cyanide toxic patient in a burn patient is going to be with sodium thiosulfate, which combines with cyanide to form the less toxic thiocyanate or with hydroxocobalamin, which combines with cyanide to form cyanocobalamin, which is readily excreted in the urine. Check with your department and maybe even with your EMS to see if they have one of those ready-made like cyano kits, because 
This usually comes with all the medications and maybe even the IV tubing and stuff that you need and will come with easy to use step-by-step instructions. I think it's really important to consider these alternate diagnoses or these additional diagnoses. Carbon monoxide, cyanide poisoning, these things are things that we have to think about in major burns. Now, this carbon monoxide poisoning is an easy treatment. We're going to give the 100% FiO2, send a coox. The cyanide's a little trickier. You know, I do know some people who will say, oh, we're just going to empirically treat everyone with cyanide poisoning since the antidote doesn't have a ton of side effects and sometimes it can be hard to tell. But in my experience, the patients who have cyanide toxicity don't come in, you know, sitting up and talking to you. Yeah, this actually came up in the talk. And um, one of our kind of toxicology gurus, Bob Hoffman, was at the lecture. And he said he didn't really generally recommend just kind of empirically treating for cyanide poisoning. He said these patients are going to generally look quite sick and have a massively elevated lactic level. Okay, so these are things to look for. Obviously, if the patient does have that elevated lactate level, or as you said, if they come in cardiac arrest, peri-arrest, or they just seem to be kind of winding their way down in terms of cardiac function, something to think about. If you're not at a burn center, you also want to make sure that you are arranging for transport to a burn center. No matter how good your initial resuscitation is, these patients are going to need an extensive amount of care, and that is best provided in one of these centers where they take care of the patients frequently. The call needs to be made early, but you still need to do your best to stabilize that patient before transfer. Last thing you want to do is shove someone in an ambulance who's pseudo-stable and then send them for an hour or two-hour ride to the nearest burn center. Now, Jenny, I think that's a great run through the critical care aspects of the severe burn patient, the initial management, things to look out for. Want to give us some take-home points? Absolutely. So first, be prepared to intubate early. The patency of the airway can decline quickly and without warning. If there's any concern for burns to the face, the airway, the neck, the nose, or even smoke inhalation in one of these critical patients, consider taking control of the airway early. Next, review the rule of nines and the Parkland formula to direct your large volume fluid resuscitation. Remember, the Parkland formula directs you to use four milliliters times the percent total body surface area times the weight in kilos. You're going to give half of this volume in the first eight hours and the second half over the next 16 hours. Now, given that this is a large volume here, it's probably best to use LR or another balanced solution. And also a note here is that when they say percent total body surface area, they actually mean the percent. So this isn't going to be a decimal. Third, make sure you do a thorough trauma eval to make sure you're not going to miss any other injuries and also watch for any developing compartment syndrome. And then last, consider the need to treat for a carbon monoxide and or a cyanide poisoning. Poor cardiac function, cardiac arrest, or a high lactate can be clues to a cyanide poisoning. And just go ahead and start 100% O2 while you wait for your coox, since carbon monoxide tox is probably pretty likely. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, follow us on Google Plus, and on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week.